Welcome to Zebra Talks, where people living with hypermobility syndromes hear their experiences reflected in conversations with guest experts and fellow zebras living their best bendy lives. I'm your host, Dr. Libby Hinesley, physical therapist and author of Yoga for Bendy People. The information and opinions shared on this podcast should not be taken as medical advice and are not a substitute for diagnosis and treatment by a qualified healthcare professional. And now, let's get started with today's Zebra Talk. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome our very first guest of the podcast, Jill Miller. Jill's work has been very influential for me, both personally and professionally, so I'm so glad to have her on to discuss her insights about hypermobility. Jill is a pioneer in forging relevant links between the worlds of fitness, yoga, athletics, massage, and pain management, having studied movement for 30 years. She's the author of best-selling books, Body by Breath and The Role Model, and creator of the fitness formats Yoga Tune-Up and The Role Model Method. Miller is also a contributing author to the medical text, Fascia, Function, and Medical Applications. Known as the teacher's teacher, Jill has been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Shape, Men's Journal, Good Housekeeping, Women's Health, Yoga Journal, Self, and on the Today Show, Good Morning America, and featured on the Oprah Winfrey Network. That's a lot. (laughs) She's trained thousands of movement educators, clinicians, and manual therapists to incorporate her paradigm-shifting self-care fitness programming into athletic and medical facility programs internationally. Jill resides in LA and is a mom of two kids and a sweet rescue dog. And we will have ways you can find her later at the end of our show. So Jill, welcome. So glad to have you on. Yes, Libby, I'm seeing a parallel here. So I wrote the forward to your book and I'm your first podcast host. So I think I'm kind of an icebreaker. You're basically my intro. <laughs> I'm your let's the guy that goes out and does the comedy before the main act to warm people up. Icebreaker is a good term. I'm a warmer upper, and actually, I love warm ups. That's what I love to do. I love preparatory moves, so it makes sense that I'm here. There you go. It's perfect. We're so glad to have you. I'd love for you to start out by telling listeners a little bit about yourself and specifically how your experience with hypermobility has come to shape what you do now. I didn't know I was a hypermobile person because I was a very tight kid. I mean, I just didn't move. I wasn't a movement interested individual until I was about 12 years old when my mom brought home the Jane Fonda workout and the Raquel Welch yoga video. I mean, I was very sedentary and I, in fact, I was overweight. I was four foot nine and I weighed close to a hundred pounds in sixth grade. I was the shortest kid in the class and I was the thickest kid in the class and I had the thickest glasses. So I was a, I was target practice for jokes and I was a super, super nerd still am on that front, but you know, I didn't know that underneath all of my, I didn't know that my joint system actually had a lot of mobility until, you know, I don't know if I could timeline it, but I I do remember I think I wrote about this even in in the forward to your book. I was auditioning for Flag Girls Mm -hmm. and I couldn't do the splits. And I started to try to do, I don't remember whether it was the front to back or the lateral splits, but I just started to try working on the splits. I gave myself two weeks 
Like, <laughs> like oh, two weeks is all it'll take to do the splits. And by the end of two weeks, by the way, I was not able to do the splits, but I certainly was able to do the splits by age 14 and never stopped doing the splits. In fact, I can still do the splits. I don't know ah. if it's such a good idea anymore, Libby. Um, I certainly don't do the lateral splits anymore. And we can talk about that later, mm-hmm. why that was not a good option for me. But I, I think once I started to get lit by these videos, I really started to pursue movement practices, but particularly yoga. Yoga was the thing that made me feel centered and relaxed and find solace in my own body, right? Find pleasantness in in my body home because my home was not pleasant. There was a lot of chaos in my childhood, a lot of divorces, a lot of trauma, a lot of abrupt moves and being able to um, soothe myself was a miracle. And the way I found mm-hmm. self-soothing was through stretching, which was mm-hmm. better than TV because I, I used the TV a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I also used books. So I was a big reader as mentioned, aforementioned nerdiness. So, <laughs> but I don't think that I recognized that my mobility was uniquely extreme until I met my mentor of yoga, Glenn Black, my mentor of yoga and body work. And Glenn is um, not a very well-known yoga teacher. He shuns the spotlight. Uh, Although he did gain a ton of notoriety because he was in Bill Broad's book, Science of Yoga. Hmm. I think it's called The the Science of Yoga. I know I have it on my bookshelf, but this book just absolutely disrupted the yoga space. I think this was back in 2000 seven or eight or or nine and and in the book i mean glenn mentioned that you know yoga is not for everyone it's not going to be healing for everyone that's a whole other conversation but i think there's a lot of merit to what he says when we're talking about the hypermobile body Mm -hmm. so let me backtrack a little bit so i met glenn when i was working at the omega institute for holistic studies and i was already in college i was studying dance and movement studying Mm -hmm. massage and i met glenn and Glenn was able to help my body go from hypermobile to extremely hypermobile. <laughs> I mean, I was tying my legs behind my head. I was double wrapping my arms through stuff, you know, splits galore. I mean, I was already doing the splits, but Glenn was hypermobile and I matched my teacher or he yeah. saw that I could match him. And so I think what a terrible statement to make, but that mirroring of the mobility I'm sure it was very exciting to him as a teacher, like that he had a student that could do what he could do and also kind of run experiments on me. And I loved it because it felt so freaking good. I was yeah. at a young age where I was super elastic. And that level of depth, stretch, time under, stretch tension or what mm-hmm. have you really, I think, shaped my growing brain still during a window mm-hmm. of growth because I met him when I was... I think 19 years old Mm -hmm. and trained with him for decades after. Wow. But I also learned from him all along that the mobility that I had was potentially not within safe parameters. Yeah. And when you say that it felt so good, I think you're really onto something. I think it's in my mind related to the work that you have come to do with the self myofascial release and self-massage. There's something about stretching 
for people with hypermobility that I think does feel exquisitely good. And that's one of the reasons they're so drawn to it. Can you say a little bit about that? Um, almost like a quest for sensory input that um, maybe you were experiencing that I know I have experienced and I used to get it from stretching and now I get it from the therapy balls basically, but mm -hmm. there's something about that big hit of sensory input that feels amazing and actually really important for the bendy body. Yeah. I love to reflect on that now, knowing what I know mm -hmm. after decades of being in the fascia research space. So as a hypermobile person, it's like you're walking around in loose clothes all the time and you can't quite feel where the seams are. Yeah. And in terms of the anatomy, those seams are where the ligaments are at their threshold of stretch. And your brain should be getting feedback from the mechanosensors in the ligaments, in the connective tissues throughout the joint that tell your brain about place. Mm -hmm. Tell your band about location. And unfortunately in the hypermobile body, there is less of a crisp feedback loop around proprioception, around the knowledge of where one's body is in space because of the extra loose collagen that they walk around with. And so a quest for locating where the end feel is mm -hmm. usually happens past a a decent sense of range what most mm -hmm. most human bodies the normative ranges are well past those normative ranges and because of that there's consequence of pressures on the joint that can be degenerative but what going into those deep stretches those long held stretches gave me was a physical sense of where my ends were. Mm -hmm. And especially if I did a little contract, relax at that end, do mm -hmm. a little PNF work, then I would really highlight the feedback and that made me feel secure. So the, the stretch feedback coming from proprioception is one quest that I most definitely still seek. Now I've built a lot of muscle bulk and that muscle bulk has been very, very helpful for giving me a new sense of centration. And it stalls me from hedging over the edge. Yes. But in a way that increased muscle, muscle bulk probably helps put some brakes on that range of motion a little bit. And it's helped you to learn to set something before you get way out past a reasonable end range to get some of that feedback a little sooner. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and holding my body in a more uh, contracted behavior through the course of stretchy movements is also very, very helpful. The other thing that the stretch work did for me or the yoga, yoga stretch work, but I was also a dancer. So I was also doing dance stretch work, mm -hmm, <laughs> lots mm -hmm. of stretch work. Yep. Um, and of course, studying time massage, which is like, you oh, know, wow massage stretch work yes. so yeah give me all the stretch stuff and i'm yes. doing it really my deep study was in shiatsu at that time but i also dabbled in thai because of course i was a great demo model for the thai teacher they basically put you into yoga positions and then massage along mm -hmm. certain cardinal cardinal meridians according to the thai approach there's the japanese approach chinese approach mm -hmm. and then even within each of in their ayurvedic approach even wow. within each of these fields, you have multiple uh, perspectives on where these lines are. 
Yes. Thing when you're understanding fascia. Yes. So what I wanted to say about this other aspect of the stretch work is I now know, and you now know that this was also impacting other centers of my brain, not just the somatosensory cortex, which is all about position, but also the stretch work was zinging into multiple limbic regions of the brain via interoception mm -hmm. that were also giving me, my body a sense of, of peace, of downregulation, um, a sense of calm and quelling the sympathetic nervous system that is in hypermobile people, highly strung out, highly mm -hmm. on, right? We tend to be more anxious state people. Yes, a little hypervigilant nervous systems, definitely. And I think this is such a an interesting juxtaposition, I guess, which is you're describing the way that that end range stretching gave you that sensory feedback to know where you were in space, to know where your body is, to the edges of it, and that that is necessary for us to feel safe in this body. However, the way that you were getting that and the way that I was getting that for so many years was also unsafe because it took our joints way past a reasonable end range and contributed to some injuries and pain and that type of thing. So that'll be interesting to hear about your work now and how that same quest for sensory integration, location, embodiment, containment is coming into play in a different way now. One of the other big gifts of the range of motion work, if I put all of those things into a little box and tie it up, you've got the yoga stretch, dance stretch, and you have the massage stretch components, is that these touch experiences for my body. Of course, they highlighted range of motion, but they also highlighted range of emotion for me. Mm -hmm. I would finally be able to have my emotions mm -hmm. and be able to let go of whatever I was holding onto to make it through the day, make it through the night, make it through the week. Mm -hmm. So the work really did allow me to learn more about myself emotionally as well. Mm -hmm. um, however, there were these other deleterious um, effects. I discovered self-massage in a few different ways. One, I discovered self-massage. I remember when I was maybe 14 or 15, somebody gave me a bath set, like uh, a self-care bath set. Now I'm 51. So back in the day, I guess anybody that did yoga, they like gave you bath sets. I, I don't know if this is still true. I mean, I still get a lot of creams, uh -huh. a, lot of lotions, a lot of oils, a lot of bath salts. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. But somebody gave me a wooden roller and there's a picture of it in the role model book. This wooden roller was called a ma roller. And the ma roller looks like a little wooden dumbbell with very soft contoured, two rounded wood bits and then a, a, a shallow handle. So this roller, it just would roll along your spine and it was wood, but like pine, it was a soft wood. And I loved this thing. Mm. I would roll up and down my spine and hear crack, 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 crack. And so massage was something that I was experimenting with in my room as a teenager. Mm. And then when I got to college, I, by the way, all through this time, I'm dealing with massive mental health issues. So around the time I discovered yoga and Jane Fonda workout, I became anorexic. I lost all that body weight 
from when I was a kid and I started to have absolutely uh, body dysmorphic issues as well as food issues. And by the way, that was also co-occur with many mm-hmm. people with hypermobility. So there you have, I'm just checking all the boxes of all the, yes. all the comorbids that I have, yes. having never been diagnosed fully mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. A, a geneticist or any of that. I got them all, girlfriend. Yeah. Down the whole list. But the eating disorder of anorexia ended up never being fully addressed in therapy. In fact, I went to therapy twice, I think, mm-hmm. during that time. But it morphed into something even more dangerous for me, which was bulimia. Mm-hmm. So I started to binge and purge mm-hmm. in order to self-regulate, in order to deal with my stress and have very, very un- unhealthy relationship with food and my body, even while I still was doing these movement medicine things to try to deal with my issues. And one day I was doing work study at a yoga studio near the college. I was at in Chicago at Northwestern. And I, I couldn't feel my abs. My abs never got sore. My roommate was pre-med. She always got sore when we did Pilates classes together, but I didn't. And I knew that it was connected to the fact that I was secretly binging and purging, mm-hmm. that there was something with my abdomen, with not feeling my abdomen was connected to my bulimia. Yeah. And so I told this yoga teacher that I never got sore and that I was bulimic. And I thought these were connected. And she said, well, here, lay on this. And she handed me a bean bag that was shaped like a hamburger bun. And this was a prop they use in the Iyengar yoga space Mm. way back in the day. They probably still use it. I think it's for headstand. Mm. And she said, lay down on it with your belly upon it and breathe and move it around. And so I did, I I laid my belly down probably right there in the studio. It had to be because I didn't have one at home. And it was absolutely intense, painful, uh, and globally horrible. Mm. It was so uncomfortable, but I started to feel my insides. Yeah. I felt my insides like I had never felt them before. And that visceral pain started to transition into emotional pain, Mm -hmm. right? I started to really connect the fact like what I was doing to myself with this deep, deep self-hatred and this deep fear, but it was the beginning of my path. That really was my bottom. That was the beginning of my path out of bulimia. What I started to do in my dorm room was I would roll up a hand towel Mm -hmm. and then I would form it into a honey bun shape. And then I would lay down on it. It was much softer than a sand bean bag. And by the mm-hmm. way, please don't lay on sand bean bags or or basketballs or soccer mm-hmm. balls or hard objects on your gut. Mm-hmm. It's just generally not a great idea. There mm-hmm. are a handful of case studies now in clinical reports that detail harm injuries from using hard objects on soft tissue, especially in the abdomen. Yeah, you, I've learned that lesson myself personally. I once did some abdominal massage on something more like a basketball and mm-hmm. I badly sprained a rib and it oh, took yeah. about eight weeks to resolve it. I mean, that's probably on the pretty benign end of what could go wrong there, but. Especially for the hypermobile yeah. body because yeah. you're so much more elastic, but yeah. you know, these injuries can happen in strong or soft people. It doesn't yeah. matter anyway. So yeah. that's a whole, that's a whole other podcast where we can talk about self-myofascial release tools and their properties. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm topic. <laughs> so, and I started to breathe into this towel around my guts 
And that was the genesis of what is now this tool that I use called the gorgeous ball, which is yes. even softer and nicer than a towel. Um, and it's amazing. It distributes pressure and you can, you can yeah. feel your body breathing into it. It gives you the feedback of that. So I think I got completely off course of what your question was. I don't think so. I think we're going in a great direction. And by the way, thank you so much for sharing that. It's a really powerful story. And it sounds like getting into a felt sense of your abdomen was a real turning point for you. And in my experience with myself and also patients and clients that I work with, it's difficult to get over that initial hump because it is so intense and overwhelming and can be really scary for people. But I find that if they're willing to just spend some time there and develop the courage to go inside of their experience, that that often is the turning point towards mm. healing and shifting that mindset or perspective about your own body and a new relationship with your body. That's step one. And it's sometimes the hardest hurdle to clear. Yeah. Well, uh you know, your organs are so vague and for the hypermobile bot, they're, they're just super vague in there. You know, mm -hmm. unless you're in a lot of pain, they're pretty vague, mm -hmm. but they're collagen rich too. And yeah. so, you know, the bowels may be giving you just constant confusing feedback and the gorgeous ball is like a tuner. It's like a tuning fork and you can really listen in specifically in ways that you, you can't, when you're kind of walking around with your organs all day, just feeling just vague symptoms. Yeah. But to your suggestion, there are best practices to meet that discomfort. Now, I would never tell anybody to lay face down prone like I did mm -hmm. that first time. Yeah. What what a what a disastrous application. You know, like I mean, the yoga teacher didn't know any better, but yeah. I, I know better as a practitioner now of this work for 20 plus years best practice is not to lay belly down, best practice is sideline. Mm -hmm. And also to deflate your object so that it does meet you rather than assault you. Yes. So we lay on our side. This is how I constructed it. And I think I've got like four different places in body by breath where I mentioned that over the years, having worked with so many people, I've, I've now discovered much better best practices of application. Yeah. We start at the side, we start to have conversations we also can use our hand to also guide pressure as needed. And then we do some contract relax so that we can really work with the central nervous system as well as the, the different tensions in the myofascial layers that are surrounding the guts. And then if the belly is welcoming to more pressure directly upon it, then you, you just roll slightly over. Yeah. It, more and more and more. And then, and things really, really change after that. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It's almost like the sideline position is a bit of a conversation starter. Mm -hmm. and, and that is the key. That's what I spend a lot of time encouraging people to think about this work, this kind of self massage, self myofascial release work as a conversation with your body, a conversation with your nervous system, because so often people and their practitioners that they've seen over the years approach the body from a purely mechanical place and as though we're having a wrestling match with these tension patterns. And it doesn't often go well because we know that the body is a real integrated human experience. It's, it's everything lives here. So 
I think it's really important for people to know that when we're approaching a body, especially a hypermobile body that is very likely to have increased sympathetic arousal, is very likely to have widespread myofascial pain, that we start really gently and we start with just having a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Just tap in, step out, step out. Absolutely. I love that. And, and the fact that we can be much more superficial if we need to be mm-hmm. in terms of the anatomy, right? We don't have to go to depth. It doesn't always have to be about getting to the bone and clearing stuff out. That is yeah. absolutely not the conversation because as a hypermobile person, sensitizing delicately and being able to perceive gentle touch as enough Mm-hmm. is also very helpful. It doesn't always have to be this extreme pressure, like, cause so much of what I've described is very extreme. It doesn't have to hurt. It doesn't have to hurt to work. Mm-hmm. Less can be more and shallow is the new deep. Mm-hmm. So l- let yourself arrive there. Yeah. And, and that is a practice you know, frame it as a practice, be willing to be curious about, well, what would that be like? Yeah, exactly. And what is it like to wait and see if I can notice something that's more subtle than what I'm used to? Because sometimes the bendy body gets used to not really feeling much until they feel an extreme sensation. And that's all they know is all or nothing. And so Mm -hmm. exploring that middle ground, but exploring the middle ranges of sensation in a way, yeah. And I mean, that's one of the things I loved about your book. And I think I'm, I, we might've had this conversation at some point, but it's like, let's make the gray zone sexy. Exactly. I think you had a quote in there that something along those lines. Yeah. Mid range so. is sexy, you know? Right. Mid range is the new, this new black. That's right. Like that. That's right. Yeah. And it turns out that that's where life happens. Life happens at mid ranges and likely our sensory life happens in mid ranges as well. We're missing some of it when we don't have our, we're not tuned up to notice the signals that we might benefit from noticing. And that's, I think, such a a powerful gift about your work with the self massage. So I'd love for you to describe a little bit about your new book, Body by Breath. And uh, because you use the gorgeous, the soft, squishy, I call it the belly ball. Mm -hmm. You use that one a lot in this book, specifically to really address nervous system regulation and breathing mechanics. And I love this focus of your book because I think it's so highly relevant for the hypermobile population. I see a lot of dysregulated breathing mechanics due to tension patterns and due to nervous system dysregulation. And I'd love to know a little bit about your book and what relevance you see specifically for the bendy population. And if you have some clinical pearls to share about how you've been seeing this work play out with your bendy clients. Oh, so thank you for asking about the book. This book has been incepted for really since I first laid down on that mm-hmm. sandbag mm-hmm. on my belly. And so this is a book that has been journaled about this process of exploring your breathing through the body, not just a nose to lungs experiment, mm-hmm. but what are the ramifications of the respiratory diaphragm on every system of the body? And how do you make it known to yourself? How do you make your diaphragm become a known skeletal muscle when it has no proprioceptors. It has like 
six mechanoreceptors and they're in the crora and they're mostly have to deal with, with vomiting, with retching. Yeah. So it's fascinating, which as a recovered bulimic, I find that absolutely fascinating. Totally. Um, yeah. It really is. So I, oh gosh, there's so much in the book. There's two different chapters on respiration. There's a chapter on the diaphragm itself. There's a chapter on the vagus nerve, looking at the polyvagal theory as a, a model perspective to take mm -hmm. a look at zones of respiration. Mm -hmm. There's also a chapter on the voice. There's a chapter on the role of breath and performance. And then there are over 200 pages of application. And then there's addendums. There's two appendix. One is on diastasis recti and the other is on scars. So it's close to being a textbook. It's been mm -hmm. called a textbook, but I'm mm -hmm. trying to encourage people to get it, even though it looks like a textbook. It it is very dynamic in its presentations, very colorful, beautiful illustrations, and it has Definitely. a lot of QR codes that if you start to get lost in the weeds on the science, I say, hey, swing over to the video with me right now, and let's and you'll it'll take you to a YouTube video that magazine style teaches you to mm -hmm. light it up and to have a multifactorial inputs, I think really yeah. helpful when you're oh, processing this work. I think so too. I found it very impressively user-friendly, honestly, and easy to read and fabulous pictures. And it, it does look daunting when you just pick it up in your hands, but you start flipping through it and it's very exciting to look at. Yeah. I tried to make it fun and exciting. <laughs> it's very, it's heavy. And I don't mean that the book physically is heavy, but the work is heavy. Body by breath is a very serious topic. Whereas the role model, actually the title of the book starts with a word play, starts mm -hmm. with a pun, but body by breath doesn't really engage in puns. This is the work that I've always wanted to share with people. And I think there's a number of things for the hypermobile population that are very helpful takeaways. One is the three zones of respiration. First of all, understand that the respiratory diaphragm is your main muscle of respiration. It's in charge of breathing, hands down, mm -hmm. but it can collaborate with some of its neighbors. And so the neighbors downstairs of the respiratory diaphragm, I call zone one. And in zone one, we have the reciprocal movement of the transversus ab abdominal mm -hmm. muscle and all of the muscles that are fascially attached to the rectus sheath, the pelvic floor, and something called the, the thoracolumbar aponeurosis, this big uh, white diamond of, of fascia on your mm -hmm. low back. Now, if you are a highly anxious person, there is a likelihood that as a highly anxious person, you might keep your abdomen rigid. You might just be pulling in your abs all the time, mm -hmm. unconsciously, and, and I'll describe how that happens, or consciously because Maybe you have a lot of gut bloat as a hypermobile person with organ challenges. Mm -hmm. You might find yourself gassy, very permeable, super loose in there, and you don't want to look big. So you pull in and hold yeah. in. Or by the way, if we go a little bit further south into the, the pelvic funnel, um, urinary or fecal incontinence because of yeah. timing issues with your sphincters or looseness in your bowels or looseness in those outlets. Let's yes. just... So we might have unconscious and conscious gripping of that entire region. Now, if we're holding that area really firm, and I'm actually holding it really firm right now, which is already changing my voice, mm -hmm. my respiratory diaphragm is not allowed to fully descend during its contractile phase. Its contractile mm -hmm. phase in relaxed breathing is just about a 
one to two centimeter descent. And that's as air is coming in, the diaphragm contracts, creates a vacuum, air gets suctioned in through your nose or mouth into the lungs and the stuff below it stretches accordingly. It just lengthens to accommodate the pressure. Mm -hmm. And then when your blood calculus has decided, okay, that's enough oxygen. I don't need to inhale anymore. Then the inhale is shut off and the diaphragm flips back up into its rested dome-like position and everything that was connected to it below just falls in. But if you're holding that area in all the time, you're not going to experience a relaxed breath. That zone one breathing, that downward press pressure of the respiratory diaphragm is our calm state breathing. It's our most calm state. It's it's baby's breathing. Of course, your lower ribs will also flare. They're hooked to cartilage and the 11th and 12th rib will also wedge out during that time, unless you're holding yourself rigid. So if I'm holding myself rigid, in my zone one, I'm going to deflect my breathing into zone two. Zone two mm-hmm. is a collaboration between respiratory diaphragm at its rib attachments. It's attaching to the lower six ribs and the intercostals. And so mm-hmm. we'll start to have uh, a breath that takes place most exclusively in the rib cage. The zone two breathing is a very important breathing. We need it for sport. We need it for yeah. pushing and pulling. We need it when we're stabilizing our lumbar and pelvis against forces that might tear the lumbar and SI joints apart, right? You're not gonna, you're not gonna lift your kid's camp trunk and not engage your core before right. you lift that camp trunk. Right. Otherwise you're not very stable to do that. So I need to have the opportunity to tighten there and I need to be able to get a good breath into my rib cage for that mm-hmm. to occur. So generally we say when we're in a zone two breath, we're in a sympathetic, athletic play, output, heightened sense of alertness state. Now it can become diabolical if that's the only way you breathe all the time, Mm -hmm. because you will be very aroused. You will be stuck in kind of a sympathetic state. And what tends to happen if people are stuck in a sympathetic state, they become desperate for more air. And then they start sliding their way into zone three breathing. Then in zone three breathing, we start to use accessory muscles of respiration that are centered around the head, neck, and shoulders. And you'll see this in shock or fright Mm -hmm. or even high intense delight, right? You'll see somebody's mouth drop open, their shoulders lift up, their eyes pop open. So it's a very high arousal. And you see this in asthmatics or folks with emphysema. You'll see them using their neck muscles to try to get that last bit of air into their lungs. And it's typically through the mouth, which is also very um, inefficient for long-term respiratory health. So those zone three breathing muscles, when they are overused for respiration, become highly tonic and we start Mm -hmm. to get symptoms Mm -hmm. of neck pain, shoulder pain, rib pain, headaches, jaw grinding, eye strain, jaw clicking. So any mm-hmm. symptoms that can happen with imbalances of muscles in this up, upper zone. Thoracic outlet syndrome stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. The carpal tunnel. Yeah. Yes, all that. Wrist range of motion, bizarre stuff in the fingers and hands. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the models. And then as a, a hypermobile person, when your neck muscles are being overused for breathing, then they're probably not doing a really good job of managing your neck right. either. 
Yeah. And hypermobile people, neck pain is, and, oh gosh, and the clicks and the, yeah. Anyway, so it's, it's almost universal neck pain, jaw pain, headaches. It's so common. And I do see a lot of breathing dysfunction related to exactly what you're talking about in my bendy patients and clients. Yeah. And I usually see that the neck stuff is, um, coexisting with an inability of the lower ribs, especially to move. Things are very rigid down low in the breathing apparatus. So there's this lack of suppleness through the lower abdomen and lower trunk tied to this increased muscle tone up in the neck and this chronic contraction and pain. So it, it can be counterintuitive for people to realize that really the foundation of trunk stability is in its suppleness. Yeah, if I don't have this elasticity and the choice to strengthen or the choice to stabilize, yeah. then yeah, I'm really running myself into the ground. So I, I always look at these things as coexisting, like your breath range of motion is totally tied to the soft tissues of the axis. So that's why I subdivide breathing into these three zones, because you're going to be treating these three zones in different ways. We need to do typically a lot of very specific release work for the head, neck, and shoulders for what I call the cervical thoracic diaphragm, which is really the horizontal musculature atop the shoulders before it transitions into verticality in the neck. So there needs to be some very specific releases there, but those tissues may be resistant to being released because of sympathetic overdrive. Mm -hmm. So by going into zone one, zone two with the gorgeous ball or with very slow motion exercises on the ball, it can flip the nervous system into a more parasympathetic state. And then you're more tolerant to dealing with the specific pressures into the SCM attachment mm -hmm. or into the masseter or into the scalenes, which for so many people is just so unpleasant. Oh. And so those are really helpful. And the Body by Breath book details the three zones. And I use four different tools to help. One is breath, of course, is a tool because it's an yeah. inside out tool. Yep. Although some people have a breath stress response. And so for some people, I don't care what your breath is doing. That's okay. Yeah. We'll create other conditions and the breath will come and go. We're not going to over-focus on it. Sometimes the breath can get very self-conscious and yes. more stress. That's yeah. a whole, that's a whole other topic. Yeah. So there's breathe, there's roll, of course, which you've talked about. And then there's move. Yeah. So the movements typically in order to get the release are very slow. They are with gravity. I don't tend to do a lot of just static positioning, mm -hmm. but rather I call them dynamic. Oh shoot. What do I call them? Slow motion dynamics. I think it's like Feldenkrais type stuff mm -hmm. where you're just moving extremely slowly and, and then the fourth tool is non-sleep deep rest or yoga nidra, which is not available to all hypermobile bodies for many people. The only time they feel secure is with motion yeah. and stillness brings up a lot of pain. Stillness can bring up a lot of unconscious anxiety. Yeah. So, I mean, Shavasana, as much as I love it, is not a good fit for a lot of highly anxious hypermobile bodies. Mm -hmm. And there's a phenomenon called relaxation induced anxiety. And I address that in the book as well. Yeah. 
that's really important to, to keep in mind for all the people out there who are trying to incorporate some of these practices of self-care in a hypermobile body to really allow your body and your nervous system to show you the way. And if there is yes. something that you expect to be relaxing that doesn't feel relaxing, go with that. It may not be for you right now. Yeah. And it can be different from day to day as exactly. well. Yeah. I mean, when I used to do Shavasana with my teacher, it took me a while to figure out what the right propage was for mm -hmm. myself because I would be laying there and Glenn is known for these 20 to 30 minute yoga nidras. Mm -hmm. He leaves you, literally leaves you for dead. Like you become <laughs> iced over. It is so intensely amazing what he does. But I would get these unbelievable pains in the back of my mm. skull and my sacrum just from my body weight resting on the masses there. Yep. And it, it took me a, a while to figure out how to support my pelvis and my head, my skull, my occiput in yeah. just the right way so that I offset the pressure that I could endure the long static hold of yeah. yoga nidra. I do detail that in the book. I do have one of the demos for the skull cradle. I learned the skull cradle from, oh gosh, she used to be the senior editor of Yoga Journals and the founders of Yoga Journal, a very celebrated physical therapist. You must know oh, her. Oh, um, ah. She's so great with restorative <laughs> and sleep. Judith Lassiter. Judith, thank you, Judith. <laughs> thank you, you pioneer. Oh my goodness, your skull cradle, delicious. Awesome, that's fabulous. It sounds like exploring these three zones of breathing in your book would be a great place to start for all the bendy people out there listening and curious about what's a good starting point for self-care practices that can help them to develop awareness about some of their breathing patterns and how that is linked to their nervous system state. So I would highly recommend getting Jill's book and starting to explore that and get curious. Yeah, absolutely. There's one other really easy takeaway from the book that I like to share out, especially mm -hmm. for folks where nervous system regulation or anxiety tends to be a bedfellow. And that is called the five P's. Mm -hmm. um, the five P's of the parasympathetic nervous system are five virtues that if you can accommodate these, you will have a downregulation of sympathetics and an upregulation of parasympathetics. And that's just so helpful to enter into that tranquil place. And the five P's are really simple. The first P is perspective, and that has to do with mindset. So finding a message that you can give yourself so that you can allow your body-based experience to show up, yeah. however it will. Like the one I've been working with a lot, especially since the launch of the book, because it really spiked my anxiety to really, yeah. let me just say, I know oh. as a fellow author, like the intensity of having your brain on paper in people's homes. Yes. Moses. And I've already done this once before, but this second time around, I'm telling you. So mm -hmm. my P that I work with a lot right now is all of me is welcome here. Mm -hmm. all of me is welcome here. And that really helps when I get nervous about going on a podcast or even, or showing up in a room where I know people have read the book. You feel so naked. And exposed. Proud. Yeah. Very mm -hmm. exposed. So uh, first P is perspective. The second P is place. Mm -hmm. 
ideally for your nervous system to allow for parasympathetic dominance to occur, you need to be in a place that is safe for you. So whatever that space is, uh, and then in terms of academic features, warmth and a little bit of darkness typically helps a body to relax. Mm -hmm. Uh, The third P is position. Bodies relax better when they are on the ground. Yeah. So if you can recline on the ground or even give yourself a partial inversion, a gentle slope, I call it in the book by lifting your pelvis up upon Mm -hmm. a block or upon a cordless ball and know, especially if you have postural or static tachycardia syndrome, Mm -hmm. never jump up after your recline, never Mm -hmm. just jump up after your gentle slope because you do need your blood vessels to reacclimate to a slow approach to becoming upright. But the um, gentle slope and the recline seem to help with the baroceptor reflex, which can be very helpful for calming down the heart rate and slowing down the breath pace. The fourth P is your pace of breath. Um, So typically bodies relax when we extend our exhalations, we make the exhale longer than the inhale. So that's a really easy thing to consider. Slowly blow out the candles on your hundred year old birthday cake. Maybe not a hundred, maybe maybe that's too stressful, but make sure your exhale is longer than your inhale. And then the fifth P is palpation. So these palpation exercises that I teach using soft, grippy, pliable tools at different depths of pressure to your own pain pressure threshold, this is really the formula that can adjust the sympathetic fight or flight and get you into a more down-regulated state where you can think clearly, you can slip into tranquility and also restore your tissue so that you can then ideally train your tissues for strength, for stability. That's a fabulous paradigm. There's another P, this whole set of Ps that as a paradigm is such a great way to prepare oh my gosh so many peas (laughs) prepare for the more active work that we as bendy people universally really need to get to but we have to deal with this stuff first we have to get this trunk supple our breathing and our nervous system regulation skills so that we can have better outcomes with our strength training so i love that i love that the first four peas get us ready for the palpation P. And when you were describing this whole paradigm of P's, I'm thinking about the first one perspective as a clinician, the hardest one to get over because there's something that requires some acceptance in shifting our perspective about ourselves, you know, saying all of me is welcome here, those types of approaches to self-compassion, it's almost like we have to go ahead and accept that things maybe aren't as we would like them to be in this body and this physiology. And that can be hard when we have a chronic health condition like hypermobility spectrum disorder or hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. I see a lot of people still want to be chasing um, a quick fix and they're not ready yet to accept that you know what, dang, I have a different body, I have a different nervous system, I have different physiology, and some days that just sucks. But if I'm really gonna do this work to figure out how to manage this, I have to start with some acceptance. Uh, I really appreciate that. I came across the notion of acceptance. It wasn't until I was, I think 29 or 30, when I realized that the lack of acceptance that I had was creating friction 
not only in myself against myself, but everywhere in my life, no matter where I worked, in my love life, with my family, it was a very, very profound mm. shift. And I got that notion from a yoga book. Thank you, yoga books, for being mm. out there and guiding me in so many beautiful ways. I think you just have to find that perspective. And in the yoga space, they call this sankalpa. So you, you, you know, to try to find that message that you can tolerate, that's a bit aspirational for you, mm-hmm. um, that is going to be a, a place of growth. Uh, another one that I use with a lot of students that seems to be benign but effective is I embody my body. Mm-hmm. I embody my body or yeah. I'm a student of my body. Like I'm a student right. of my body. So you can create sankalpas or these perspectives that are growth filled for you. Yeah. You're like, because you say I embody my body and you're like, but half the time I'm over here, I don't right. want to be in it. But you know what? There's nobody else that can embody it for me. And that is my growing edge. And I'd like to be able to fit in here because we're going to be together till the end. So as not, I'm not a psychologist, I'm a yoga therapist. I just have found finding these phrases that help to anchor people. And then the point of it isn't to be like all mentating about that perspective. The point of it is to then be able to host your felt experience yeah. anew, yeah. host it anew and feel it anew and let that help you develop and grow. Because every phase of life within a bendy body, I just consider it a developmental experience. I mean, it, it so sucks when I dislocate my collarbone or like, oh, God, please, really? Mm-hmm. Is my kneecap going to do this today? Yeah. But it's like, okay, I know I have the five Ps. I have these other tools. I have other things to inform other parts of my body as well. I can let you rest kneecap and I I can still inhabit and find myself here. And it's not an unexpected thing to have a dislocation or to have some weird skin lesion. Or I did a strength workout this morning. It was so much fun. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to three different podcasts on my mast cell activation disorder. So I have a cold urticaria. I have an allergy to cold. And I was just listening to podcast after podcast, just hoping that somebody would call out something about hypermobility. And of course they didn't. And I was super disappointed, but we are left as the hypermobile population with putting all these pieces together all the time. And it is quite exhausting, but it also is to me, endlessly fascinating. I feel like I'm just going to keep learning about myself and this community till the end of time. And there really isn't a solution. It's this mutation. And we get to continually invent our therapy and invent and remodel what it is to live with this bendy self, live your best bendy life. So I really appreciate the work you put out into the world because we are definitely a zebra unique community. Yeah. And every zebra is so unique. So really I have to start with that curiosity. I'm going to get to know myself. I'm going to come home to the body and I'm going to stop being afraid of it now that I can start to understand it a little bit. And that is when things start to change. The body has the potential to change. How much? I don't know. It's an empirical question, but we won't get there until we start accepting it as it is today. And then our perspective and our relationship with it really transforms. Yes. And then we have less suffering, even if we have bad days. And, and I don't mean that lightly. I mean, really bad days are typical, but you're right. There's not exactly a solution. I tell people the game of whack-a-mole, it's never going to stop. 
<laughs> but we're going to get better at whacking the things down, better at managing things that arise in this unique bendy body as we get to know it better. So, for sure. Yeah. Well, Jill, thank you so much for sharing so much good information with us. Are there any final tips or words of encouragement that you want to share with our bendy listeners? I have been transformed by adding appropriate strength training into my regimen. And I can't emphasize enough. It's so unpleasant when you begin it. You will have remarkable delayed onset muscle soreness. You definitely want to get good education. I don't know that there's a lot of online resources, but there are some for hypermobile people. It is worth dedicating some of your self-care funds to that, not just to seeing clinicians, but to adjusting the health of your musculoskeletal power, especially because as aging is upon us every day, sarcopenia is a very real thing. And this will lead to only more complications down the road. So I just really want to emphasize how important that is for the health of the bendy body. And I've been doing strength and conditioning in my body very seriously for about 12 years now, mm-hmm. but I had dabbled, you know, I'd kind of go on benders where they're like, I'm going to do some strength yeah. training and like stop again, but please consider that as an essential. And of course the complement to that is you want to make sure that you're championing your parasympathetic recovery. And that is where my work comes in. Absolutely. I could not agree more if there is one thing, well, I have to say if there are two things, it's okay. strength training and it's self-massage. Those two things have been game changers for me. And you're right. It is profoundly unpleasant at the beginning for people. And it's another hurdle to get over, but with the right guidance, it is the most important thing um, that we can do is build strength to hold this body together and to age well, and to avoid that sarcopenia or muscle wasting. Um, Really important to seek out those resources, start low and go slow. Mm Mm-hmm. Start low and go slow and then monitor your recovery and monitor the response. Thanks for that parting tip. And Jill, can you let our listeners know how can they find out more about you and your work? I am all over social media, especially on Instagram at the Jill Miller. My company is tuneupfitness.com and we're also on social media as tuneupfitness. You can find through the website, a number of different courses where I'm teaching with incredible partners in movement, including the great Tom Myers. We have a program Mm -hmm. called Rolling Along the Anatomy Trains. I highly recommend that, especially if you're interested in the fascial aspects of your health and what Tom calls spatial medicine. There's also Walking Well with Katie Bowman. It's a Mm -hmm. great training that covers gait and there are self-massage as well as some of Katie's brilliant movement excursions in that treat while you train with my friend, physical therapist, Kelly Starrett, the author of becoming a Sepha leopard. Mm-hmm. And then more recently I've released a program around hit with another physical therapist, mm-hmm. friend of mine, Dr. Jen Ferboni, also known as Dr. Jen fit. We have a program mm-hmm. called Roland to hit, which is specifically for hit hesitant people. Yes. Which might include everybody listening right now, probably uh, to help 
And it combines pre-covery and recovery as yeah. well as very well-crafted guardrails and assessments to know who you should follow in the videos. I do like lit low intensity interval training and she's nice. the high intensity and nice. another colleague is demonstrating a mid-level, but that also has a few different lectures on the science of hit, the science of rolling, as well as some breath testing. So that's really great. And you can also attend classes with me. I teach classes every week in my online classroom called Move, Breathe, Roll. Um, and that's also an option to be in a mentor group where we speak together about once a cycle and I'm able to address directly the needs of the students and they really actually direct the programming. So for example, we're going to be filming some more classes soon, but it's a whole hypermobility series. But if you look back in the library, you'll see an entire class on the thumb. Well, can you handle a thumb class? I have a number of classes around the hips. Why? Because I had a total hip replacement yeah. in my mid forties. Um, there's lots of neck classes for all the hypermobile yeah. people that we were talking about today, every part of the body, yeah. but there are some very focal topics. And then there's broader classes in the move, breathe and roll columns. And yeah, and then I teach live trainings. I'm back at it now. November 2nd through 9th, I will be teaching the Yoga Tone of Teacher Training in person, finally, in Los Angeles. That's exciting. Well, thanks for sharing so many options and ways we can um, follow your work and learn more and get some guidance on using some of these techniques. Once again, Jill, thank you so much for being here. And listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.